First of all, namaste and good evening to all of you. Tonight, I continue with my long series of commentaries from the teachings, words, actions of Jesus. It is a subject which has been uh, asked for a long time. I had done a series of this teaching somewhere in 2006, around that time. And according to the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, and now I have moved to the third of them. The four Gospels, for those of you who don't know very well, are just the same events retold by another person in another manner. So it's basically talking, the four Gospels are talking four times about the same story, describing the same story from the standpoint of four different viewers. This one, of course, as the name says it, belongs to a fellow called Luke, who didn't even see Jesus in his life. He never met with Jesus in his life. He was the apprentice of an apprentice of somebody who did. And therefore, um, the story is written in its own particular way. Uh, Luke was uh, a medical doctor, uh, at least a doctor of the time, in, of those days. And therefore, his education makes that his style is peculiar in his own way. And um, just to show you how important this timeline drawn by Luke, how important it is, when uh, the great movie Jesus of Nazareth by Franco Zeffirelli was made with the biggest cast ever, it's the biggest Jesus movie done in history in the late 70s, it was done based on the Gospel of Luke, like the, the history is following the events in the Gospel of Luke. So, I'm somewhere in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, that's very abstract if you don't know these texts and all the rest. And um, my point here is, I'm always saying it in the beginning of almost every satsang, for people who join newly in it, my purpose is to show the yogic connections. What does that mean from a yogic standpoint? How can we understand it from a yogic standpoint? I am not a Christian preacher. I am not uh, making some sort of late night Baptist church here or something. I am reading from Jesus because Jesus is a top 10 spiritual personality on the face of this earth in known history, and I am uh, taking uh, his teachings and his actions, which, which show, which point to cosmic laws and to very fundamental spiritual principles, and I am bringing this and comparing them to yoga, translating them in the language of yoga, understanding them from the standpoint of yoga. For example, last time, in the last of the satsangs which I did on this theme, I came in, the, in this chapter number uh, 6 to the strophes, to the verses 27, 28, and all the way until 30-something, and there, there was an injunction, I read it, and I'll go through it again just to warm up and just, if I, I could go through this paragraph, I could stay on it, probably do ten satsangs on it, 
take every bit and part of it according to the yogic psychology, analyze it and show you what works and how it works and why it works and all that. I'm not going to do that because then I will spend years in analyzing just one of the Gospels. But I'm just giving uh, this to you again because in this paragraph, Jesus is describing, is making one of the most perfect, although not complete. It's not complete, but from a certain standpoint, one of the most complete and perfect descriptions of the psychology of Anahata Chakra, the heart chakra. And as you may remember from other of my satsangs or lectures, it is implied by Jesus and by the Christian mystics, and it is implied by many other metaphysicians and mystics belonging to other religions as well, that here Jesus is expressing a standard in the meaning that evolution on the face of this earth has some laws. There are today some very chaotic schooling systems and very innovative and artsy and stuff like this. But if you go in the regular schooling system of each country, there is a sort of a clear plan of what is being educated in every grade. For example, the multiplication table always comes in grade 3. That the fact a few countries might have downed it to grade 2 or to moved it to grade 4, that's possible. But averagely, in the modern European and Western educational systems, you learn the multiplication tables in grade 3. 3 times 3 is 9, 3 times 4 is 12, 3 times 5 is 15. All that stuff is learned in grade 3 in school. And if you finish grade 3, and your mathematics teacher says this dude cannot do a simple multiplication of 3 times 5, then usually the school is asking you to repeat the grade, sends you back to the beginning of grade 3 and says, sorry, you did not pass. It's not good enough. You have, when you finish grade 3, you have to know multiplication tables at a satisfactory level. In the same way, the human evolution of human beings has some standards. And it is implied that Jesus, through his education that he gave, it's not in the Bible, he never said it in the way in which I say it. That's why I say it is implied, and I cannot demonstrate that it's the real thing. I'm just telling you what the current theory running is, that human beings, according to the view of Jesus, when the cosmic cycle, when this cosmic cycle is over, like the grade, the class is over, they have to have a strong Anahata Chakra. They have to reach a level of consciousness of Anahata Chakra. And that is what the Christians call salvation. Which means if you don't reach that, you will have to repeat the class. You will have to go in the next Yuga, again in a similar history of humanity, where there again there will be Genghis Khan's and floods of Noah and whatever else will happen. And you are going to have to repeat the whole thing because you didn't polish your diamond well enough. You did not evolve to the level to reach to Anahata Chakra. 
And you always said, yeah, but somebody stepped on my toes. Yeah, but I was sick when I was a child. Yeah, but like everybody has excuses for not doing the things properly. The standards are pretty clear. And this is called in Christianity under the code name salvation. That if the cosmic cycle is finished, you're going to say when? I don't know. Nobody knows. Tomorrow, in a hundred years, in a thousand, five hundred years, we don't know. Whenever the cosmic cycle is over, those that have a good Anahata Chakra, heart chakra, are exactly like the people who learn the multiplication table. They pass. And those who don't have a good enough Anahata Chakra, they turn back and they repeat the cycle. It doesn't mean that those who pass have finished their evolution. It means that they go to the fourth grade. They simply go to the next grade. Evolution doesn't stop because you reach a level of consciousness of Anahata Chakra. But it already moves you to the next grade. So this is called salvation. Are the souls who don't pass lost? No. That's a white lie said by the Christian mysticism and other forms of mis Jewish mysticism, Islamic mysticism, in which they put fire under people's ass. They simply say, if you don't pass, you might go to hell and suffer and gnash your teeth. It's not true. The fact that you have been incapable to go to Anahata Chakra doesn't mean you are doomed to suffer or to go to hell. But to live in the same cycle of humanity again, that's also a sort of a hell in a certain way. No? So it's a sort of a white lie to motivate people, to say, come on, reach salvation. Reach salvation, which means graduate, graduate, graduate. You know, don't just do it for nothing. Live the life on this earth in such a way that you graduate. That's salvation. Christianity knows that there are other degrees of spiritual realization than that. And that is called, for example, perfection. It's one thing to work for your salvation, and it's another thing to work for perfection. If, for example, Francis of Assisi or Teresa of Avila, they are way beyond salvation. They have reached salvation in kindergarten. And then they aimed for more, for the big prize, for the top of the pyramid, for the kingdom of heaven. But there is a sort of an accessible prize for the masses, which will divide the masses. Pass or don't pass. And that's called salvation. And that salvation is about Anahata Chakra. We are given to believe by many metaphysicians who studied the Jesus teachings that Jesus, because he is one of the last avatars and he comes from God with these teachings, he sets a standard for humanity. And he says, in the end of the day, if you reach like this, you are okay. And if you don't reach like this, it means you haven't studied enough and you have to learn more. You have to go more through the meat grinder. And in this paragraph here, he expresses exactly that state of consciousness. Again, not in totality. The people who study Anahata Chakra here in Agama, oh my goodness, we study so many more things. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't know. 
but he doesn't need to go into those details. Anahata Chakra has a lot of details that uh, Kashmiri Shaivists compare the Anahata Chakra with two lotus flowers which are like this and that therefore there is a downward pointing Anahata Chakra and an upward pointing Anahata Chakra which is more like the human love and the divine love and this and that and a part of Anahata Chakra generates sensuality and is helping people reach a satisfactory states of orgasm and this and then there is a part of Anahata when you go in a Christian monastery especially a tough one nobody cares about the states of orgasm they are very dry and very severe and very ascetic and they are all focused on the other love on the love for god and they even are ready to starve to not sleep in the night to torture their body just so that they can find god and the pure love of god and that's what i'm trying to say here is anahata chakra to describe it is much much more complex is way more complex we have initiations in anahata several times over in our yoga courses at different levels, we come back to it, and then people do a two-month tapas, chakra tapas, only on Anahata chakra, and like it continues. But here, Jesus, with his genius, even I, when I read it, I can see that it's a sort of a filter. Like, Jesus doesn't bother to explain sensuality in Anahata chakra. It's there, and I'm sure Jesus knew about it, but what Jesus does is he gives a sort of a filter. And when he gives this filter, then it's like you pass or you don't pass. If you can even dream about fulfilling this and living like this, it's Anahata Chakra. Of course, we can also demolish this thing saying, but if somebody has also a big Manipura and a big Vishuddha and has this Anahata Chakra and understands it and has also a big Ajna Chakra and sees the universe in a very global way, isn't the whole story about life and uh, psychology, the individual psychology and this, isn't it much more complex? Yes, this description and again, if we talk about Anahata Chakra only... It's, it's very unilateral. It uh, gives a certain kind of person. In my life, I have known here and there in the world, especially in some countries, people who are uh, exceedingly Anahata Chakra, like no Muladhara, no, not too much Vadistana, no Manipura, not Vishuddha, etc. A lot of Anahata. I have known 10 people in my life who had a lot of Anahata Chakra. And that creates a peculiar type of human being who can, who can fit into this pattern. At the same time, it doesn't mean it's the only way to reach salvation and that it's the only typology. None of you can doubt for a second that Krishna had a very big Anahata Chakra, comparable to the levels of Anahata Chakra of Jesus. Why? Because Krishna, first of all, is an avatara himself, another avatara, much beyond before in the centuries. And two, Krishna has generated so much bhakti yoga in India. There are people in India who sing for Krishna, 
only in Vrindavan there are 12 branches, 12 forms of Krishna Bhakti, out of which one of them became this famous Hare Krishna thing called Iskon Swami uh, Prabhupada, this Bhaktivedanta, as he was called, who created in the West, who went to New York and created the famous Hare Krishna. No? So it's like when 3,500 years after you lived on the face of the earth, people are singing Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, and they are crying and dancing, of course you are having a huge Anahata Chakra. So Krishna had a very big Anahata Chakra. We celebrate the birthday of Krishna in the Leo, in the summer. It's 14 or 15 of July. It's one day away from the National Day of India. India is very much a Krishna type of country, a Leo type of country. And therefore we even suspect that Krishna was astrologically a Leo. And the sign, the astrological sign of the Leo is called the heart of the zodiac. So it's like the Leo is the chest of the zodiac, is exactly the heart part of the zodiac. So obviously Krishna must have been very heartful or is connected with archetypes which are extremely heartful. But then when you read about the life of Krishna and what he did, and what he did with Arjuna and the other brothers, you find out that Krishna started a holy war. Krishna advocated killing. So he was definitely not 100% on Anahata Chakra. If he would have been just a strictly Anahata Chakra typology, he would have lived by this. If somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek as well. That was not Krishna. And it's not because he didn't have Anahata Chakra. It's because he preached a cocktail. He preached a cocktail of chakras, another human model. He said, be like that. Jesus, in these circumstances, I can only speculate why. Because even great masters cannot understand fully an avatar like Jesus. We can understand the consciousness from where Jesus comes, but then his mission and the way of fulfilling it, these are things which are divine. They belong to the divine consciousness alone. And for a reason or another, Jesus, who sometimes was himself very manipuristic, like he saw people selling, changing coins, and he just turned their tables down and made a scandal. And when you read the Bible, you see that often he gets manipuristic and he says, Woe to you who are rich! Woe to you who are fed, well fed! And so on. Like he goes accusing. He's like a prosecutor. He points finger and so on. And other times he raves and he shouts and he says, you are wolves dressed in the sheep of, in the skin of sheep and so on. Like that's not very much Anahata. Like Jesus himself affords to go on a rampage sometimes. Very controlled rampage, very divine, very well justified. But it's not like he has no Manipura and he doesn't know how to use it. He has a very good Manipura and he knows how to use it probably better than everybody else around. And yet, at the same time, when he preaches to the disciples, he insists a lot. We can speculate also on the fact that the Jewish religion was extremely Manipuristic, 
all those 756 rules to be kadosh, to be holy every day from Moses, all these traditional things, they were very Manipura, Manipura Ajna type of life. Yeah, You see a little bit of it in many traditions of Manipuristic meditation, even in the Theravada Buddhism or in the Zen Buddhism of Japan, a lot of Manipura. You wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and you brush the floor in your monastery for two hours. And people say, you just brushed it yesterday. The floors are crystal clean in a Zen monastery. It doesn't matter. You wake up at 4 o'clock and you brush the floors for two hours. You know, it just goes like, this is Manipura. You know, it's like there is not even... You just do it because you have to tease your ego just because you have to discipline yourself, just because you have to get bored to death and annoyed and you have to demonstrate that you have willpower and commitment and whatever. You know, you do it anyway. The floors are crystal clean and you wake up at four o'clock in the morning and you clean them once more, just for the heck of it, you know. And so on. So this is typologies on Manipura and the, some of these Manipura thing, they existed very much in Judaism all the time. There is a typology of those fiery people to go easily in Manipura. And then Jesus has to compensate a lot. It's like an airplane that has lost one engine. And it flies just with one engine. And then the pilot has to drive the airplane like this. Because it's only one engine working and it's very skewed. And therefore it's like Jesus has to press a lot on Anahata. Saying like, don't tell, talk to me about your self-discipline and your spine. I know you have discipline. I know you have a spine. This thing is you are lame. This leg is shorter. You have one leg shorter and that's the one I'm talking about. So go there, go there, go there, go there, go there obsessively. Because that's really what you need. And therefore, he says that famous thing again. It's not the most perfect description of the consciousness and psychology of Anahata Chakra. But one thing is for sure, Jesus' genius is so great that he definitely sees how you pass or you don't pass. And he puts it in such a way that to make the long story short, if your Anahata is not big enough, you don't pass. You can't do this. Period. It's as simple as that. So that's why he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If some someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic also. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. Only this last part represents a grain of reason. Everything else is mad. It's crazy. Like nobody considers it for a second. Not a bank, not an institution, not a government. Not a, Take the most religious government in this world, in any religion, like the fundamentalists of Iran, you know, and see if they can apply this. We are the Islamic Republic and we want to live according to some divine law. Yeah, take this paragraph and apply it. It's not possible. You are dead already. The whole thing is dead already. Nobody applies it except great level mystics who are 
going there. But again, that doesn't mean it's the only truth. Krishna knew these things and nevertheless he pointed Arjuna and the other people in another direction. And even in Christianity, things have gone very much divergent from this kind of things. And he continues by explaining, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect a repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Can you imagine a bank lending money without expecting to get anything back? No, it's simply it's the end of the story. You can't go there. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Uh, this is pure Anahata. Again, if you mix some Manipura to it, you say, yes, be like this. And if there is a pedophile in the community, tie him up to a post, put him in a cell. You cannot let a pedophile go around and abuse sexually children. Are you crazy? You know, it's like, if you are a king, it means you are not compassionate to your subjects. If your police allows to the pedophiles to turn the other cheek and to say, okay, yeah, but we have to turn the other cheek. It doesn't work like this. This can work only in some very special environments in a controlled way, but at the social level, it has never worked. Again, maybe it has worked in Satya Yuga, in the Golden Age, but we don't know. We haven't seen it. Even at the time of Krishna and Arjuna, what was working was the sword, the holy war. And Muhammad, when he came with his message from God, he also advocated war, you know, even in his time, people fought a few battles under his guidance. You know, he was part of battles where people were killed, where blood flew. So even he realized, you know, as much as uh, you want to be holy, Manipura has to be there. You know, it's like when a tiger is attacking your village, you have to shoot the tiger. You don't go. Jesus would say, yeah, but if you are like me, you talk to the tiger and he starts licking your hands and becomes like a pussycat. Yes, but we are not like Jesus. We don't walk on water. We don't raise the dead. We don't kiss the lepers and make their leprosy disappear. So it's a very beautiful ideal, be perfect. On the other hand, who applies it in society realistically? Like, have we seen this in the Vedic society? Have we seen in the traditional Judaic society? Have we seen this even in the time of Buddha? Like when Buddha was with his disciples, did they live like that? If you read the Buddhist canon, like Buddha wrote a canon, and after him, a few patriarchs of Buddhism, they perfected the Buddhist canon. When they wrote the canon, that canon is a bit Manipuristic. It's Manipura, Ajna, Anahata, Vishuddha. It's a lot of good things. But it's not just like this. This is an exacerbation 
of Anahata Chakra is like exaggerating it a lot, a lot, like making it almost exclusive, you know. It's exactly like a person who has been alcoholic and then you tell them you don't have to touch alcohol for 12 years. Not at all. Like you have to be a teetotaler. Other people in your yoga group can have a glass of wine now and then because they don't have an alcohol problem and they are not addicted and they are not tempted by it and they control it very easily. But you, you don't touch it for 12 years, not a drop. No? That's exactly the compensation that you have to compensate for some things. Saint Mary of Egypt was a luxury prostitute. And then she had a revelation with Jesus in Jerusalem. Even when she went to Jerusalem, she went by selling her body. She sold her body to the captain of the ship because she didn't have money to pay for the ticket. So she was getting, the captain was getting sex and she traveled for free. And then she had a revelation. And then she suddenly, in one day, in two days, she ran in the desert and she became ascetic for the rest of her life. She became celibate from prostitutes. No, just a, and she said that she had been practicing prostitution for 17 years and she suffered from the pang of uncontrolled sexual desires for another 17 years. Like it took her as many years as she went into it to heal herself from it. After 17 years alone in the desert, she didn't feel sexual temptations anymore. So it's like it's a compensation. So Jesus is telling, because he talks to the Jews, first of all. He's born in that community and he teaches there. And he says, you guys have forgotten Anahata Chakra. You guys are like alcoholics, like drug addicts. You are addicted to Manipura and you are not doing Anahata. And now you need to go in Anahata Chakra absurdly much. Absurdly much. Exceedingly much. So that you compensate. Did it happen? No. Not, on, not with the Jews. Not with the Romans. Then Peter and Paul took it to the Romans. And you say you are another bunch of manipuristic bastards. Because the Roman Empire was a bunch of manipuristic bastards. And they said, you are another bunch of manipuristic bastards that should learn to behave. And the Romans were like, what? And the barbarians will conquer us. We turn the other cheek. We are the Roman Empire. We have to rule and blah, blah, blah. No. And to the point where Augustine, the great Christian Saint Augustine in the 3rd century, he wrote the Civitas Dei on the city of God, where he described this utopian vision of Jesus what would be the city of God, a sort of a Shambhala in the clouds, where everybody would be in Anahata? No? And he, because people said, Rome, if we make Rome Christian, Rome will stop existing. And Augustine said, no. Rome will exist as long as there are Romans. That's what Rome is. Rome is the Romans. It's not the buildings or anything. No? So he said, if you are in your heart, if you are spiritual human beings, Rome shall continue to exist. No, Don't be attached to it. Like you say, we are going to lose the, all the heritage of the Roman Empire. Did the Jews listen and the Romans and others? No, 
That's why here, what Jesus is giving us is like a sort of a... We can try our best. And when we have real good days in our life, then we can fulfill it. No? I've known people who were in excellent social conditions and so on, and who were into this Christian thing, and they went on the street in Europe, in the frost, in the winter, and they saw a beggar that had no shoes. And then that man, who had a big white beard like me and so on, he just took off his shoes and gave it to the beggar, and he went home without shoes. He went home in his sock. In the winter, on frost, on ice, there was ice on there, and he just gave his shoes instantaneously to a beggar when he saw him without. The same with Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna was getting some money donations, which were like very special thing, you know, because India is poor and so on. And some people, the owner of his temple, she gave him a donation because she valued him very much. So he said, okay, we've got a hundred rupees, let's go on a pilgrimage, let's go to Mount Kailash, or let's go to whatever, to Mansarovar or something. And uh, he and his nephew and somebody else, they were one, two or three people, they started. Indians love pilgrimages, and they love festivals and so on. Ramakrishna being an Aquarius, he was crazy about moving, 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 moving. He was an air sign and he was getting bored in Calcutta. So he said, let's go on a pilgrimage. No, it was like blowing off steam, taking a break. They walked about 20 kilometers or something a bit north of Calcutta. And there they found an oasis, a stop point. A famous stop point, like a village where there was an inn and a water well and so on. And pilgrims were... And then there was a group of pilgrims and they looked miserable. And Ramakrishna immediately found out that they were all hungry, that they finished the money for pilgrimage, and they were going home, but they hadn't eaten for one day or something like this. And then Ramakrishna told to Hridai or whoever was with him, he said, take all the money and buy food for these people, feed them now, look, they are hungry, they haven't eaten the whole day, you know. Which is a bit hysterical, right, because you can eat, not eat ten days and you don't die, you know. It's not a tragedy if somebody doesn't eat three days, then they will get home and hopefully home they have some chapatis or something. You know, it's like it's not like it was famine in India or something. But Ramakrishna suddenly went into the heart like there are hungry people around. And he spent all the money of the pilgrimage on food just 20 kilometers from Calcutta. And then he had to turn back with the tail between his legs. He never went on a, a pilgrimage because he spent the money and he probably was looking forward to the pilgrimage being an air sign astrologically. He just fucked his pilgrimage to just give food to people, not even 20 kilometers from Calcutta, you know, like he barely went out of the town, and he spent all the money, and he did charity. Like, this is very much more like this kind of consciousness. Give without receiving anything in exchange, and all that thing. So, he simply argues and explains and simply says, you, you do not demonstrate your quality in good conditions. You always demonstrate your quality in bad conditions. Exactly as the British proverb, two of them, one of them which says, a friend in need is a friend indeed. Like when you are not in need, then everybody is friend with you. But when you are in need and fallen down, 
then you can see who is really a friend. Now, a friend in need is a friend indeed. And the second proverb, which says that the character of people is known, it's a saying from uh, one of the British thinkers, who said the character of people is known in adversity. Not in good times. In adverse conditions, then that's what you see what people are made of. And therefore, Jesus here says, don't think that uh, because uh, Stalin loved his grandkids, it means he was a nice person. Don't think that if uh, Mao Zedong was having a lot of lovers, a lot of girlfriends, that made him a nice person. When things are okay, everything is okay. No, But then, he simply said, if you can do such things in adversity, in adverse conditions, that's what starts showing, indeed, what the level is. So he gave the negative examples, you know, and uh, like, you know, if you do that when you are given back, then why, why are you praising about? That's just a nice manipura. No, I give you because you gave me. This is just fairness on manipura. Many people think that generosity and all these things are, no, like you do something and then your country rewards you. That's just manipuristic policies. You lost one arm in Afghanistan and your country gives you a pension. There's no anahata in that. There's just manipura. You do something for me, I do something for you. It's a gang mentality, you know. You help me, I help you. We stick together. But Jesus speaks about something else which is very difficult. And again, when you are really in good conditions... Sometimes you feel it. Sometimes when people are in in a great place, they have more than generosity and more these things. But Jesus, on purpose, puts it in the negative. He says, do good to those who hate you. But that, that's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. No? We are in Agama, in a place where we see a lot of hate and curses and so on. No? And indeed, it's very difficult to do good, to bless, to do the positive things. No, because sometimes, you know, like Krishna didn't say, oh, those guys are cursing us. Let's give them a blessing back. Krishna said, why don't you send them an arrow right in the left eye? You know, it's like, show them your answer to it, you know. And it's, a, it's also a way of responding. Jesus' way is not the only way, remember. But Jesus insists because in Israel he feels that there is a huge disproportion. And in the antique world, the Roman Empire was not better in any way. And thus, Jesus simply says, Yeah, Manipura, 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 show me some Anahata, please. You know, let's, let's get out of, let's be more than that. So sometimes... The insistence of Jesus can sound like exaggerated, but I think it fits very much to the kind of people and the times when he was speaking about. Uh, I remember in Agama, one of the proeminent teachers in Agama, one of the senior teachers in Agama, he said, Swamiji, you are talking about this, people don't even understand, because right now we are not in the time of Jesus, Manipuristic people who cannot understand Anahata. Actually, now, 
we are in a culture where it's full of Svadistanistic people who cannot even understand Manipura. So he said, if you would give a bit of Manipura to your yogis in Agama, they would have a bit of a samurai spine, you know. And it's true. If we would have had samurai spine in Agama, we wouldn't have been dragged through the mud in the way in which we have been dragged through the mud in the last period. of. There is no Manipura in Agama, or almost no Manipura in Agama, because a thousand Manipuristic people wouldn't have reacted like that. No, if you try to attack a martial arts dojo from Japan, you will not get the flabby reaction that you got from Agama. No, so uh, it's true. The standards have even changed from that time. But this teacher suggested, and he did some five years ago. He did a workshop once just to test to see how people react to it, which was called consciousness of fire. So, like at least, let's be samurai. Let's be vertical. If you fuck up, slit your belly and die with honor, you know? Like, don't be a worm crawling on the floor and trying to hide your misery and finding all sorts of Svadistanistic, unworthy thing, you know? It's like, be at least on Manipura. You know, at least on Manipura you start being a human being. You know, in Svadistana you are a worm. It was not very well attended, that workshop. And people didn't understand very much, you know. So, it's, again, the problems are different now than they were at the time of Jesus because the decadence of the humanity has gone even further. But it still remains that what Jesus sets here is a standard. Maybe it's a bridge too far. For most people, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm not even a dignified person on Manipura. And now you are asking me to jump directly to Anahata. Then, dear friend, what to talk about Vishuddha? You know, to be a jnani, to be a jnana, yogi living in a hut somewhere on a mountain in the Himalayas and practicing pure jnana yoga and having a Vishuddha chakra as pure and as gigantic. Like, that's utopia. I'm not saying that such people do not exist now and then, but more and more seldom, fewer and fewer of them, and less and less communicating to the world. Like, even Anahata sounds like madness, and you can see that if you work in a company, your government, whatever, none of them could live by this code. This paragraph of Jesus is the closing down of all the governments, is the switching off of all the military forces. It's like it means complete shutdown. It's the shutdown of all the banking system. It's like it simply can't work that way. No? And therefore, we all know it doesn't happen. No? And Vishuddha, uh, Vishuddha is a city in China. You know, It's like a dream about that. Here and there you find 10 people with Anahata, and then here and there you maybe find one person with a big Vishuddha. As about Ajna Chakra becomes so rare. I was seeing documentaries and I remember because I looked through that list yesterday when we looked through some list of documentaries and uh, I remembered because there was a documentary called Bobby Fischer Against the World. Bobby Fischer was arguably the greatest American chess player who produced uh, this amazing 
thing when he beat the Russian Boris Spassky in the 1970s and so on. And uh, he, like most of the other great chess players, slowly, slowly went crazy because they practiced so much on Ajna Chakra that eventually they lost contact with the world. They didn't belong in this world anymore. And they, they belonged to another world. There is somebody who described, for example, the strange meeting between Goethe and Wagner, the two German personalities, Goethe, the writer and the philosopher, and Wagner, the musician. Both of them were total weirdos. And when they met, it was like two gods accidentally bumped into each other. Like both of them were walking like this. They were not even looking at the pebbles on the road, you know. They were walking like this. And for them, people on the street, they hardly existed. You know? And then they bumped into each other. And it was like, oh, what? You know, it's like... And everybody, each one of them tended to have first a Manipura reaction. Like, what the heck is happening here or something. Just read. This, this story is told about somebody who witnessed the accidental meeting of Wagner with Goethe in public, out in public. No? And therefore, Ajna Chakra and so on, like we don't even talk about geniuses and so on, you know, that's why it's called Bobby Fischer against the world. Bobby Fischer, from a chess player, when he looked at the world, I don't even want to tell you in this satsang, what conclusions did Bobby Fischer derive about the world? You do your homework and find out what did Bobby Fischer say and do. He took refuge, he was condemned to prison, he hid in Iceland. Only Icelanders were the only people in the world who had the courage to give the finger to America and to tell them, okay, you want to imprison Bobby Fischer, we keep him, we love him, he's okay with us, you know. And he lived and died in Iceland, the final years of his life and so on. And what, why was Bobby Fischer against the world? No? That's why I say, because... So, um, as you go higher in the chakras, it becomes very, very difficult to cope with the world. You know, then you don't want to go to... Academy Awards in Hollywood and to be on Facebook and to do this and to do that, you know, that doesn't exist already in Anahata Chakra. I have known people who tried hard to be on Anahata Chakra. I've had teachers who were into this kind. They were from another world. They were, you know, living by another standards, you know. The, the monk who taught me chiropractic he had a very big and strong Manipura for chiropractic and this, and he was constantly trying to stay in Anahata. This guy was like very present because of his Manipura. He knew healing. He could do a lot of things. He was knowledgeable about a lot of things. He did not know the name of the president of Romania in communist times, who was a dictator and who was on television 10 hours per day. Like it was impossible to avoid. This old monk, he said, this new emperor which is there, he called him emperor. You know, he said this new, like he lived in a world where government and people with their politics and so on were something far, far away and really skewed and shitty 
and so on. And he didn't want to hear about it. You know, he was like completely gone. So uh, meditate carefully on the words of Jesus because Jesus is setting a very, very peculiar standard here. And he continues the idea by exactly relying in on this reciprocity. Here, Jesus describes the law of karma in terms of psychology and existence, because he said, do to others as you would have them do to you. This is not anahata. This is the essence of it. It's ajna. It says, it's like he says, love your enemies, do this, do that, and so on. And then he says, because in this universe, everything turns back to you the way you are. If you are a critical person, then the people from Shambhala will look critically upon you. You will be evaluated in a critical way. Whatever you give, that's exactly the wavelength on which you receive. If you give off on Anahata, then you will receive on Anahata. Because it's like you have a walkie-talkie. When you have a walkie-talkie, you cannot have... You can actually technically, but in the human being it doesn't work that way. That you emit on one frequency and receive on another frequency. The walkie-talkie talks on the same frequency. I'm on 72.5 megahertz and I'm saying, hello, hello, Johnny, are you there? And Johnny says, yes, yes, hello, I'm here. It's 72.5 when it goes and when it comes. So if I give criticism, then I receive criticism. So in this way, this is the essence of it. And then he continues in the same line, but he applied it totally to Anahata Chakra. He says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. How many people did you judge today? How many people in your mind you condemned today? It's almost impossible to refrain, especially in conflictual situations. But Jesus simply says, if you could, you should do it. In the Robin Sharma book, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, he says, if you start a business, you should never think about failure. And the guy to whom the teaching is given, he says, come on, we are human beings. We, our mind is, uh, you know, what do you mean? I'm starting a business, like Amazon.com or something, that's the richest man in the world right now, no? And uh, what do you mean? I, sh I shall never think about that it could fail. And he says, we are humans. And then the monk who sold his Ferrari claps him on the shoulder and he says, because you are human... You are a loser. Because people like Bezos and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, they are a bit superhuman. Because they manage to not think about defeat. Because they manage, they are so stubborn in their mind that they manage to somehow forbid to themselves to think about the possibility of failure. That's what makes success. The resonance of success. And therefore, if you judge, you shall be judged. If you condemn, you shall be condemned. There are beautiful stories in the fathers of the desert who try to apply literally these things, like Francis of Assisi. He said, Jesus said, do not weave, do not toil, 
Do not live like the birds in the sky because God feeds the birds of the sky as well. It was almost impossible to imprint that in Italy in the 12th century. That live by the words of Jesus, literally. Live like the birds of the sky. No agriculture, no farming, no textiles, no weaving. Live at the mercy of the elements. Let God take care of everything for you. Surrender 110%. People could not. So there are people who try to apply the words of Jesus to the letter. To the letter. And in the Fathers of the Desert, there is a story with a monastery. And in the monastery, there was an old monk. And that old monk had a bad reputation in the monastery. The bad reputation was that he was lazy. You know, when you are in a spiritual community, after a while you always get to know who is doing a lot of spiritual practice and who is not. Now, and people say, oh, that guy is practicing yoga every day. You know, and you know, yesterday I had a potluck and then I watched the sunset and somehow I scratched my head, I don't know how. And in the end of the day, I got zero minutes of yoga and meditation put in my good book, you know. Simply the devil has twisted my head and I just postponed and postponed and found something better to do. And then, fuck, it's 11 o'clock in the evening and I'm tired and I want to go to bed. And uh, another day has passed and I haven't done anything. This is a typical, 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 typical problem in all the spiritual environments of this world, that people know what they are supposed to do, and they don't do it. And that, that was how this monk was. He was not doing much. And the others knew, because when you live in a small community, you get to know each other, and they knew. That guy is always the one who... You know, and then he was about to die. There were signs that he was dying. And he was happy. He said, yeah, I'm finally going. Yeah, it's okay. And so on. And the other said, uh, is, are we missing something here? Because you are going and you are the laziest monk in our monastery. So if you would be the best, if you would be the top, would understand you are going and you know that Jesus is going to take you to the kingdom of heaven like this. You know that you are going to have success. So of course you are looking forward to dying because that will be the day of your ascension to heaven. But uh, sorry, Sorry to tell you, you are the most lousy, lazy bone monk in our monastery. What are you happy about? Because you probably have some doubts and expect some harsh judgment. No. And then he told them his secret. He said, I might not have been as industrious as the others that you have been, but I have listened to the word of our Lord, who says, if you don't want to be judged, then don't judge if you don't want to be condemned, don't condemn. And he said, in the last 30 years, that's what I tried to do. Not to judge anybody, not to condemn anybody. And he said, now, according to the word of Jesus, I expect a lot of mercy. I know I am a piece of shit, but I haven't condemned anybody. I haven't judged anybody. So I'm going to receive the same treatment. God will not condemn me and will not judge me. And they all fell on their back because they realized that there are so many paths, that there are so many ways. This man, maybe he didn't have this willpower to be diligent and industrious every day, but at least he could do something else. Then he could do something else. No? So in this way, uh, this is what Jesus says here, people have taken very seriously. 
There is another story in the Fathers of the Desert where two elders meet. They are living in hermitages and so on. And they meet in a monastery or occasionally or somewhere. And these were hardcores. Like we are talking about people who have been alone in a hut for the last 30-40 years doing prayer or masturbating or whatever they were doing. But they were trying hard to follow their ascetic ways to follow their religion, you know. And sometimes they had human weaknesses and they had bad days and then they stood up again and they dusted themselves and then they tried some more and so on. And eventually, after 20, 10, 20, 30 years, they were becoming better and better. They were improving day by day, exactly as somebody who trains every day and slowly, slowly builds some physical condition or something. And then there is a story about another monk and that monk had a very bad reputation. I don't remember. He was lazy or he was fornicating. He was going with women. And of course, everybody knew but what to do. You know, like he is free to do whatever he wants, you know. And so, so one of these monks, he, he says, uh, they talk and like, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's happening? And he says, oh, you know, uh, didn't you hear the stories about Walter? And this other guy, the hero of this story, he just did like this. When he said, did you hear about Walter? And he said, yeah, Walter, yes. This is a judgment, right? Because you've said Walter is a piece of shit in your mind. No, it's a judgment because you say Walter is the problem child of your monastery. We all have heard about Walter. This old man had some grace with him. There was some grace that because of this grace, he could do things. He could live in a high state of consciousness. Maybe he could walk on water. Maybe he could raise the dead. He was in a state of grace. In the moment when he did this, uh, Walter, yeah. His grace disappeared instantaneously. And the story says that he went and lived alone in the desert for another 10 years or so before the grace returned to him. Like he was out of grace just because he disparagingly talked about somebody. Again, that does not apply to Krishna and to Jesus and to Buddha because Jesus says, woe to you who are, but he's Jesus. He has lessons to give. He has a warrant from God. This old man from the desert, he was not Jesus. He was a student who was fighting to find his own soul. He was a person who was trying to save his immortal soul. And therefore the rules of the game were not the same rules of the game as for Moses. Moses was a prophet. God gave him the tablets of the law. He came down, he got pissed off and so on. You know, like that was Moses. Moses functions by other rules than the people who are searching for their heart, than the people who are searching for their immortal soul. So, Jesus, again, he goes and says clearly, do not judge and you will not be judged. Yeah, then that's the end of all the courthouses in the world. No? Or how do you have... But then Krishna comes and says, it's not true. You can be a judge. But you don't have to do it for yourself or in the name of anything inferior. You have to be perfectly detached 
You have to consecrate to God and then it becomes karma yoga. So you can do the karma yoga of being a judge because Jesus himself is a judge. He judges the living and the dead. It's not that God doesn't allow that judge and judgment exists, but it has to come from the right place. And Jesus says, do not judge and you'll not be judged because when you judge, you do it egoistically. You don't do it like me, Jesus. I can judge and so can Adi Shankaracharya and so can Abhinavagupta and so can Muhammad because these are people who belong already to another category. They have another level of consciousness. But for the practitioner, for the person who tries to wake up yoga, immortality and freedom, right? Yoga, you are in search of immortality and freedom. For the person who does that, Jesus is right. He says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. That's why Jesus in Jesus left us one prayer. All the other prayers from Christianity, not to mention in other religions, but in Christianity, all the other prayers come from the saints. Jesus in his life has taught there is only memory of one prayer. And that prayer is called the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven and so on. That prayer in the last but one of the verses, because it has three venerations and three requests. In the second of the requests, the last but one verse of it, it says, And forgive us our sins, our trespasses, as we forgive to our trespassers. Which can be understood in two ways. Forgive us our sins. Because look, we also forgive to our trespassers. But there is that word, as. As. I forgive my trespassers 50%. So you forgive me also 50%. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive to our trespassers. Not more, not less. As. That's a very powerful thing. And which is basically the logical... I don't know how many of you have studied logics or in mathematics or others, but in logics, the contrary of that, the opposite of that, which is logically true is, if we do not forgive to our trespassers, then do not forgive us. That's the logical contrary of that. Forgive us as we forgive our trespassers. If we don't forgive our trespassers, then don't forgive us. That prayer is formidable. There is a lot of it. It's exactly representing this principle. So he says, forgive and you will be forgiven. That's why so much psychotherapy insists on forgiveness. They don't even know the explanation because most psychotherapists and therapies are materialistic. They think that your mother and your father and your uncle and somebody did something to you. It's hilarious. In the moment when you forgive, Godly lets you free, sets you free. The problem of forgiveness is to be set free by God. Forgive us as we forgive to our trespassers. As long as I'm tormented, 
it means I did not forgive. And therefore God doesn't let me off the leash. I'm still on the leash. That's why here you see exactly this resonance, this mechanism of resonance that the divine consciousness is giving us like a mirror. It's mirroring us and it's telling us, let's see, what, what will you do in this situation? Give and it will be given to you. you know, like I remember that somebody, you know, but this is happening to Agama a lot, by the way. No, even recently I heard some crazy stories. But uh, I remember when I was young and I was with my first Hatha Yoga teacher, there was somebody who came and she said, uh, my father is a military man and he's very angry because he had some great ideas in sports, um, some something about training sportsmen, and then some people kicked him out and they stole his ideas and now they are getting a lot of fame and a lot of good results and it was all belonging to my father and so on. And this yoga teacher was, to a certain extent, he was a wise man. And he said, why doesn't your father think that he is a god, he is a deity, he is a demiurge, he is a titan. He creates, God gave him inspiration and ideas and those people can only steal it from him. They cannot. They can only copy. Those people are pygmies. And the real giant is him. And instead of him focusing on the fact that he is the giant. And therefore he will receive more. Like it will pour around him. He has so many ideas. And so much creativity. And so much that he says, yeah, yeah, keep stealing from me. You know, at least you are stealing something good, you know. So keep stealing. God is giving me three times more. No, even Jesus says this. Give and it will be given to you. No, there is no limit to the divine creativity. There is no limit to the divine gift. Give and it shall be given to you more. See, this is a very superior psychology, typical to very high stand levels of consciousness. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He always gives this reciprocity, which is the law of karma and the law of resonance and the law of Ajna Chakra. Whatever standard you set, that standard is going to be set for you. For example, today, all these people obsessed with money and the secret and prosperity, using your mind for it, they say, behave as if you are rich. Then wealth will come to you. If you behave as you are, because it's the same. With the measure with which you measure, with the same measure, it shall be measured to you. No? If you behave like a stingy, poor person, you never can get rich because you are emitting poverty all the time. You have to make an effort and behave with generosity. Behave in a relaxed way. Behave in a liberal way. Of course, you have to be intelligent not to bankrupt yourself by doing it chaotically. But if you use a bit of intelligence, you kind of can use it like, hey, you know, we can do it, I can do this, we can afford this, we can afford that. Yeah. 
So, remember, this is an Ajna Chakra, very important law which applies in yoga, in spirituality, in sexuality, in relationships, in wealth management, in everything. The measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you use a big measure, then you will receive with a big measure. If you use a small measure, then small is going to be given to you. He also told them this parable. So, he, it's related. And he says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? This is another fundamental teaching. The Tibetan gurus, there is this yoga of the disciple. I could quote to you the, the equivalent from there. No, they say exactly the same thing. It's, it's one of the most disastrous things that people start teaching before they are teachers. It was one of my teachers who wrote a material reproaching something about the bad situation in the world and he used the twist of a sentence where he says in this Kali Yuga, in this new world or something where everybody wants to be a teacher and nobody wants to be a student anymore. I've had people, they've done one month of yoga, they've gone to America and they self-proclaim themselves yoga teachers and they started teaching what they learned in Agama. Again, I don't have any problem with that because I didn't make anybody sign papers that, hey, you are not going to teach. And so knowledge is from God. If I taught you Padahastasana and Sarvangasana, why should I be angry that you show it to other people who maybe have thyroid gland problems and they actually need it desperately and you help them in that way? So I, I'm not speaking about it like, oh, why did you steal the craft and so on? Ultimately, there is also an honorable way of doing it. People that have a spine and they have an honor, they can say, you know, somebody wrote a book and he said, I learned these things from Swami Vivekananda. Gratitude to Swami Vivekananda because he taught me these things. No, I took off the head. I didn't say, why didn't you give me 10% of the income of your book? Because I taught you these things. I'm not interested. I'm interested in the propagation of the truth. I want the truth to be everywhere because there is a lot of lousy yoga which is being taught. There is a lot of shitty yoga and pseudo-spirituality which is taught. I would give these things and I am do. I am giving these things in satsang. I would give them for free to the whole world for the rest of my life. I don't need anything. The, the most important thing is the propagation of the spiritual truth. That's really what matters. No? So, that's why we're talking here about this issue. The problem is not that some people are teaching something which is right. The problem is that a blind man cannot lead another blind man. There is the parable of the blind and the lame. The lame can lead the blind... Because the lame can see, but the blind cannot lead the blind. That's why there is even the other proverb which says that the one-eyed man is a king in the country of the blind. Even if you are not perfect, if you, at least you have one eye, 
compared to the others who are blind, you see way, way better. So, here he brings the issue of instruction, of spiritual instruction. He says, can the blind man lead the blind man? I live in this new age environment since 25, 30 years. And believe me, I can tell you one thing. It's filled up with false teachers. It's filled up with incomplete teachers. It's a little bit like the story that you see for kids in the Star Wars. That Luke Skywalker wants to go and stick his sword in the ass of Darth Vader, you know, and the little Yoda, he says, you are not yet a Jedi. Finish your training first. No, no, no. He has to go and solve the problem and so on. You know, like it's exactly that what I'm talking about. A blind man cannot lead another blind man. In spirituality, Jesus is not blind. His eyes are wide open and he can see exactly what is to be seen. And everybody else around, the Jewish priests, the Roman procurator, everybody with authority or without authority, they are all of them blind. They are all of them blind and they pretend they know. People who are not spiritual pretend to teach spiritual people things. And again, I'm not talking about the elementary thing. I told in some workshop that somebody taught me how to bend wires for stove building. No, like, of course I can learn. I learn chiropractic. I learn a lot of things. I am ready even now to learn a lot of things from cryptocurrencies to online stock exchange trading or whatever, you know. All of them are skills which would have been great if we had them in this school and we then we wouldn't be, you know, in the trouble in which we are. But I'm saying all these things that, you know, spiritual people, are non-spiritual people are trying to teach spiritual people about how to do spirituality. Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, my mom always told me that people who lived in monasteries they were losers who did not dare to confront the life outside the monastery. That's the excuse of the materialistic, non-religious people why they didn't go to the monastery. Oh, because the monasteries are full of losers. Then I have visited some monasteries and they were not losers at all. Some of them were absolutely amazing people, you know. They were not below the average person. Some of them were losers. And some of them were way above the average person that I could meet on the street. And thus, you know, this the blind shall not lead the blind. You know, people give advice, you know. I see, I consult, sometimes I see online advice from online astrologers. And they say, today is a day like this, and this planet is like this, and so on. And he said... You should uh, give up this and you should be more spiritual and you should not do that. You should not let anybody mix in your bit. They give advice. That advice is spiritual advice to which they are not entitled because they are not gurus. They can tell me Mars is in a bad position and everything which has to do with Mars is very dangerous these days. So be careful at any Mars-related energy or action, especially in this domain, and especially in this domain. That the astrologer can tell me. But the astrologer cannot tell me, uh, don't care so much about other people, take a little bit more care about yourself. 
That's just a selfish person posing as a guru, posing as a spiritual instructor and giving advice about that. That's why what Jesus says is very painful because I have lived in this New Age subculture for all these years and 90% of the people who teach in this, more than that, but let's be modest, 90% of the people who teach in this, they have no spiritual authority to teach anything of what they teach. And people are listening. We had here in the island, I hear sometimes, some crazy woman talking incoherently. I've seen her video clips on YouTube. She pasted them on YouTube like she was a genius. And it was incoherent speech and pretending to be some enlightened being, channeling messages. Some guy calling himself Shiva and doing some cheap form of psychotherapy and pretending to tell people their previous lives and giving advice like, now you shouldn't do like this, you should like... How many Ramakrishnas do we have around, for God's sake, you know, it's like it's... It's, that's happening a lot. The world has lot lost its common sense and the world has lost its bearing. And uh, it was happening at the time of Jesus. Jesus was upset at some people because the Jewish priests, they thought that they knew the truth and they were imposing it on the masses. And Jesus came and said, sorry, the spiritual authority is with me. I am the one you should listen to. All the others are just fakes. No. And unfortunately, he was actually right. It would have been nice if Jesus would have been for once wrong, and there would have been a lot of great spiritual teachers around who gave sound advice. But they were not. They were not. And Jesus says, this scandalous thing which I'm telling you, Pray for those who curse you and so on. This is God's truth. Listen here to what I'm telling you because this is the where you should put your effort. And thus, he told them the famous parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Like the teacher sets a standard and you try to equal that. And if you go beyond that, after you've reached, like, you know, you've studied Jedi tricks with Master Yoda and then you become a better Jedi than Master Yoda himself. Great! Master Yoda will be full of admiration. Believe me, every teacher that is not grounded in his ego is happy to see that his students are becoming greater and better than him. Only a jealous, a pathologically jealous teacher will be envious at such teachers. I had some such teachers, I have known at least one such teacher, who was a pathological person full of envy and jealousy. And he was always afraid that his pupils were getting better than him, and as soon as they started becoming really good, he was ready to destroy them, dismiss them, do whatever, just because he was afraid he would be taken over by his... This, is, this was a person who was grounded in a painful ego. Every teacher 
is even Jesus, who is not a teacher. Jesus is an avatar. Never forget this. Even Jesus says there will come people who will do. There will come spiritual teachers who will do greater things than I, Jesus, did. So Jesus says, I am not even the last word to be said. There will come people who will have such a mission from God and such a grace that they will show to the humanity things even bigger than I did. So, and, and he's not jealous. He doesn't say, but you should only trust in me. He says, when the time come, when the right time will come, such people will come and see, see with your own eyes what is happening. He's not jealous. But he has a problem with the wrong teaching. He's always pissed off at the wrong teaching. That's what he forgives hookers. He forgives tax collectors. He forgives almost everybody. But when it comes to falsifying the teachings of God, there Jesus becomes very intolerant. And uh, I, as a teacher of yoga, let me limit, first of all, myself only to yoga. Even in yoga... There is a lot of shit yoga being taught in the world today, which is not worthy of the name yoga. And that's why uh, there is, unfortunately, there is uh, this uh, parable of Jesus is very painful and very true. He says a student is not above his teacher. But see, take this example because most of you approximately know the story of what happened to Jesus later. So I can anticipate. One of his students thought that he was above himself. And that was Judas. Judas eventually, when he saw that Jesus is playing some weird game, Judas got impatient and he said, what the fuck is Jesus doing that he doesn't want to speak with the high priest and with those people? I will take him in front of them and then he will show them. He thought that Jesus was going to walk on water and turn into rainbow and raise three dead people and give a lesson to all the Jewish priests and show them the real measure of his spiritual power. Only that the paradoxical thing is that when Jesus was put in that situation, suddenly his performance went down to zero. He showed nothing. He just became a normal person, which they beat, mocked, whipped, and then crucified. And they thought they had killed him. No. So Jesus, uh, Judas thought that he is more diplomatic than Jesus. Okay, Jesus is a great teacher. I've seen him walking on water. I've seen him raising the dead. But man, he is such a lousy politician, you know. He does have no diplomacy. Let me intercede for him and make it happen. He shouldn't have done that. That was his mistake. That he thought he was above Jesus, at least in this respect, you know. He said, okay, Jesus is very good, but I have to uh, save him from himself, you know. Jesus is acting very clumsily and he's shooting himself in the foot. And I, Judas, I'm going to cut the knot and help Jesus. Okay, bring him in front of the priest and let's have a showdown. Now, then Jesus will show. He didn't. Jesus didn't show anything when there was a showdown. That's why I'm saying that Jesus is painfully true here. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. 
It's like in mathematics we call it an asymptotic, an asymptotic thing. That there is a line and then a mathematical curve tends to stick to that line. It gets closer and closer and closer and closer and closer until it becomes one with that. That's the principle of spiritual education. This is how spiritual education has been. And Jesus himself comes like the greatest asymptotic line. He says, be like me. Follow me. Go in my footsteps. Do. Of course, you very, it's very difficult to love those who hate you and so But try. Try at least from time to time. At least once every three years. But try a little bit, you know, make some effort. Try to get closer to what I'm showing you, to what I'm sharing with you. And he says the famous teaching, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? This is exactly what has to be said. Like Jesus criticizes because he has the function to criticize, to redress. He is on a mission from God. But then he says with the others, why, why are you in a hurry? You know, like Christian people say, Muslim people are not religious enough. Look at the speck of dust. I'm sorry, the plank in your own eye. Is Christianity perfect? Is your Christianity perfect? Far, far from that. Then why do you bother that the Muslim people are too violent or I don't know what? Is it your problem? No. This is the problem. People always judge. Oh, but uh, the women were treated badly in Afghanistan and we had to go to Afghanistan to save the women. Yeah, and everybody is treated perfectly in the United States and you don't have any problem there. Shit, of course it's not true. No, but you see the American government when he goes to war to Afghanistan or something, they don't judge in a Christian way. America is or used to be at least a Christian country only on paper, only by theoretical definition. In practice, no country applies this thing. Because if people would apply this, people would be much, much more modest. No? Like a woman goes to a man, to her husband, hey, you don't love me enough. You don't. But do you love him enough? Is your love perfect so that you can speak about it? Shouldn't we both have compassion? And I'm telling you, look, you don't love me as much as I wish I were loved or in the way in which I were loved. But I'm also an egoistic bitch. And I also don't love you the way Jesus would love you. So I have a lot of compassion for you. And you also please pray for me. Because we are both just two selfish people looking for the light. We are just two confused people going through the samsara. And all we need is compassion. All we need is understanding. You know, I'm not jumping now to make a crisis. <laughs> you took more than me, you took less than me, you took like that's the problem in life. People make a problem out of those things. But look what Jesus says. You have a plank in your own eye and you are going for the sawdust in the eye of another. No? It's very easy to be perfectionistic for with others, but you are never perfectionistic with yourself. No? It's, it's the same thing. 
Can you be judged by the same measure? There is a beautiful turn of this. You know, in what movie? In a movie of Lars von Trier called Dogville. In Dogville, it's, it's a part of a trilogy where he makes a criticism of the American society. And this one is splendid. It's a long, tedious movie. Uh, it, I don't know if you have seen it. And if you see it, it will raise your hair on your spine. You know, it's like it's so horrible. It's such a terrible movie. It shows such an ugly part of the human being and how human beings slowly, slowly they slide into monstrousness, into, you know, and uh, in the, but at the same time, this woman, Nicole Kidman, who plays the role of the abused woman and so on, she is constantly on Svadistana. She is exactly like the modern political correctness. She constantly tries to find elegant excuses for everybody. Exactly, exactly as in the politically correct discourse about all the minorities, all the religions, all the things, all the that. Everybody should feel good. You should just say something nice, but not true to them. No? And then in the end, she goes on Manipura. I wouldn't like to spoil it for you. you know? But she has a moment where she moves to Manipura suddenly, like this. And then she says, you know, it's like, you judge, you are judged exactly by the way you judge. No, but here, she was in the minus. This is when Svadistanistic people think they are on Anahata, and then they become politically correct and flabby and so on. And they say, yeah, but you couldn't, everybody put in this situation might react like this, and so on. And she said, no, no. If I would be put in this situation, I would definitely not react like this. And therefore, I at least have the right to judge other people by the same measure by which I judge myself. And the end of that tedious, long, slow movie is a big bang. You've never seen much like it in movies, you know. So, that's why here it's the same thing. No, can we live by the same standards? Treat others as you wish to be treated. What if somebody would look at the speck in your eye all the time, all the time, all the time? But you look at them and you see that they have planks in their eyes. You know, they are not at all perfect and they are not the ones to speak about this. No? Then we understand again the same principle of karmic retribution and of correspondence and of resonance. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You, hypocrite. See, Jesus can afford to be a bit rough. He calls everybody implicitly a hypocrite. He says, you, hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You always have to start with yourself. See, Jesus saw that there were grave problems in the world in which he was born. And he wanted to solve it. And the Anahata solution which he gave is, first, it starts with me. And, you know, somebody would say, it would have been nice if he had a machine gun 
he would have taken the 100 Jewish priests in the temple, put them on the wall, shoot them down, then there would have been no opposition, no crucifixion, no scandal, and Jesus was free by sacrificing a hundred lives to save millions in the future, just because now he had eliminated the opposition. That's the solution on Manipura Chakra. That's what Japanese samurai would have done. That's what even Krishna may have advised. What did Jesus do? He, he went on a cross himself. Nobody had to die. He died. It starts with me. Like, if to fix the modern society there have to be human sacrifices, then the first human sacrifice has to be me. It starts with me. That's the law of Anahata Chakra. In a certain way, it happens now and then. No? And then it's very difficult because it is based on a spiritual thing. Remember, there is the famous Cine Verite movie called Mondo Cane. Most of you don't know it, but it was a, it was a cinematographic monument in the 1960s. Mondo Cane is a movie which uh, blows, blows you out of the water. And then others have done many Mondo-style movies, but Mondo Cane... Mondo cane means the world of the dogs, mondo cane in Italian, yeah, or maybe he took it from Latin, I don't know, because it might be the same in Latin as in Italian. And uh, in mondo cane, there is an image of a, of a Vietnamese monk who was protesting the communism in Vietnam and the uh, killing fields of Cambodia and this. He simply went in front of the embassy or wherever, with attendance and so on, he poured gasoline on himself and he set himself on fire. And he said, I protest. Let my death be a... Like, I'm not pouring gasoline on you. Like terrorists do. I kill ten people to call for attention. No. If somebody should die, first one should be you. You put yourself number one on the list. No. But who can do that? Jesus did that. So very difficult. It's so very difficult. So here we are having again the psychology of Anahata Chakra. Remember from the standpoint of yoga, this is psychologically the thing which makes the huge difference. Until Manipura Chakra, the person is fighting hard to build the ego. Because in Svadhisthana Chakra you are a confused clown and you don't even have an ego. And in Manipura Chakra you become like Warren Buffett or whatever and you say, ha ha, I'm strong, I'm clear, I'm not getting confused, I know what I want, I can become the Shogun of Japan, I'm going to become the supreme judge of the supreme court in my country, I dispense justice. I, like you can have very good intentions and be very clear on some things. That's Manipura. That's as far as Manipura can go. That's as far as politicians can go. That's as far as governments can go. That's as far as money power can go. Most of these people who try to heal the world today, they are on Manipura. They build a Bilderberg group or they build a trilateral commission, or they build all these institutions that manipulate humanity, all this web of secret societies, and it, all of them are on Manipura. 
And then they go and they say, what do we do with India? Indira Gandhi tried to stop the Indian women from having the child number three. Two children maximum three, no, like in China. But guess what? Indian women fuck like rabbits and they have 12 children. And India, when I was a child, India had 500 million people. Now it has arguably well above 1.2 billion. No? Like in a lifetime, it has doubled up and more. No? What's going to happen in another 30 years? If somebody doesn't stop the Indian women from fucking, and of course the Indian men, but I'm just saying it because Indira Gandhi tried to sterilize the women. No? And what's going to happen if nobody stops them? And guess what? The Bilderberg group, and they have contingency plans. Give atomic weapons to India and to Pakistan, and if it gets too much, provoke them to nuke each other. And then 500 million people die, and we have saved India and Asia and the planet Earth of a big population. That's not the solution of Jesus. That's the solution, the intelligent, smart solution on Manipura. That's the scientific solution. Scientific solution doesn't mean shit from a spiritual standpoint. It's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, surrender to God, find, and if somebody has to die, make sure you are number one on that list. If you are not number one on that list, like Jean-Paul Sartre, the fucking hypocrite, was teaching existentialist, and he said life is so miserable and so purpose that everybody should commit suicide. And then somebody said, but why don't you show us the way? No, be the first one to show the way. And he said, well, somebody has to stay around here and sacrifice and show the way to the other people. Hundreds of French students in philosophy committed suicide, some of them on the tomb of Jean-Paul Sartre. Even after he was dead, people were coming to the graveyard and blowing their brains in honor of Jean-Paul Sartre. Because life is tragic and meaningless and sad and empty. And what you should do is kill yourself and refuse this nightmare. Refuse this shit called life and so on. No? That's what I'm saying, you know. Jean-Paul Sartre was incapable to start with himself. There was this guy called Mishima who, who protested against the decadence of Japan. He said, we lost the war. The Americans have fucked us in the ass and they turned us into Svadistanistic puppets. And now Japan is a circus. It's a fucking circus. And that was in 1960. Not I'm talking about many today. It's way, way down that alley. And Mishima simply said, I protest in the name of all the samurai that lived in the history of Japan. In the name of all the Zen people. In the name of all the spiritual people. I protest that my country has been turned into a bird shit, into a turd on the street, you know, and so on. And he committed public suicide. He took over a military base and he committed public suicide as a protest against the decadence of Japan. You know, at least that comes closer to what Jesus says. It's not an Anahata thing, but at least it says if you want to do something, start with yourself. Start with yourself. Like, hey, the world is greedy. Okay, you be the first one who practices non-greed. So go in a monastery, go in a hermitage, be completely detached, fast when you don't have food, be completely detached from every material thing, and then you are going to become an apostle of detachment.
your sacrifice will give an example to the world. Like Mahatma Gandhi. He said, be the change that you want to see in the world. You have to be that change. If you want non-violence, you cannot preach non-violence when you practice violence. It's impossible. No, you have to be that thing. So Jesus says, I'm preaching Anahata. You want to be on Anahata. Be that Anahata. Be. Don't look at the speck of dust in somebody else. Be humble. Simply say, yes, I can see that Walter has many problems. But, you know, I also still have a lot of problems. Jesus even did that as a miracle. They wanted to kill a woman, to stone her, because they caught her making adultery. In those days, it was a very, very serious business. Today, we watch Sex and the City, and the women have sex with whoever they want, whenever they want. And if it happens to be adultery, well, tough luck. It's, so it is. No, today, nobody takes it seriously. But 2,000 years ago, it was a deadly sin. And still in some Arab countries and so on, it still is a deadly sin, you know. And they took her to Jesus and they said, we are, we are just about to stone this woman to death. Because that's what Moses told us to do. And now you are the big forgiving guy and so on. What do you say? No, they wanted to catch him, to show him real life does not work like your fucked up hippie philosophy, you know. Uh, forgive everybody, turn the other cheek. Yeah. What do you do about this woman now? Huh? We caught her. We caught her butt naked doing it with some guy. You know, what, what will you do with it? And then Jesus performed the psychological miracle. Very few people realized. Because Jesus probably, I'm pretty sure of it, he must have opened their awareness, their consciousness. He must have awakened their sahasrara and their anahata without like this in a collective. Because Jesus did a very simple thing. He said, I cannot contradict Moses. But I can just tell you only this. Those of you who don't have any sin, those should cast the first stone. The first one who cast the stone to this woman should be the one of you who has no sin. And then he made them see themselves. Because normally if people would have been hot, they would say, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I don't remember anything, but bang, fucker. You know? And so there is even a stupid joke said by Osho Rajneesh that there is this scene and uh, Jesus says, only the one without sin should cast the first stone. And then a frail old woman comes and picks up a stone and zang, zaps the woman down and so on. At which Jesus looks at her and says, mother, you again? <laughs> because Virgin Mary is supposed to have no sins. So then she could have done the stoning, you know, and so on. But of course, Virgin Mary would not do the stoning. No? That's the whole point. So... Uh, this is the psychology of Anahata, and especially Anahata coupled with Sahasrara, the spiritual Anahata. You know, be humble. Look at yourself. Stop trying to change the world before you change yourself. No? Osho Rajneesh said a similar thing. He said, beware of socialism. And he analyzed socialism with his intelligent style. And he said, socialism can work only if everybody around in the society is a very detached and spiritual person who is very moral and ethical. So he said you could create socialists in a land of Buddhas. Where everybody is a Buddha, you could organize socialists. Because nobody will steal 
Nobody will try to take over. Nobody will try to play more smart than the others. Everybody will be spiritual. But in a country where people are made of flesh and blood, it's natural that people will be selfish, that they will cheat, that they will lie, that they will steal, that they will do. And then all the grand ideals, you can put them on paper, but in real life they are worth shit. Like it was being seen. In so many countries, communists fell and fell and fell. There are probably two, three communist countries left in this world. And in all of them, it fell very ugly. And in all of them, what was left behind was very ugly. Like when the truth was uncovered of what was actually happening. I'm coming from such a country. No, then everybody could see how bad it was stinking. No, because it could have worked only if everybody would have been a saint and had a lot of morality and a lot of ethics and a lot of detachment. But with normal people, it's a utopia. It's simply a utopia to hope for that. In the same way, Jesus here is preaching his utopia. He says, you want to go to the kingdom of heaven? It's not easy. It's not easy. You have to practice humbleness. You have to practice forgiveness. You have to first look at the speck in your eye. You have to do all the things. Let the blind not try to guide the blind. Let the pupil not try to seem smarter than the teacher. Practice humbleness in all the directions. Don't judge so you won't be judged. Don't forget that the measure which you use is the measure which is going to be used upon you in your own turn, and all the things which he said in this respect, and that is exactly the high state of consciousness which Jesus tries to bring to humanity. So it's worth it to meditate on these things, because again, the teacher, the great teacher that is Jesus, is an asymptote. We are not touching it, but we are getting 80% of it, 90% of it, 95 for like we try, we try. Even if you try to follow Jesus 10% or 20%, it will be much better than following your own ego, than following your own lower nature, your own lower self, which is sending us all into disaster. So let us stop here for tonight. Is a great lesson here. Jesus is very intense. He started with the blessings and he continues with this. He's very intense here. It's very concentrated psychology of the spiritual evolution. And he is, uh, you know, he's not even going down to Manipura. He's, he sets a sort of a justice. By the measure by which you measure, same measure will be used to you. Don't try to correct other people because you before you correct yourself. That's true, but there is much more also in Anahata and of course in Vishuddha, Ajna, Sahasrara. Here Jesus describes fundamental principles. Ultimately, this is the huge difficulty of human beings moving from Manipura to Anahata. This is where we go from lower to higher in this interval. Until Manipura... It is selfishness. Anahata is selflessness. That's why Manipura and Anahata in a certain way are like 
opposite opposite to each other and uh, this crossing is the most difficult when a human being manages to move from Manipuna to Anahata maybe not permanently but two hours per day two hours per day I was in Anahata or Vishuddha or Rajna and I was higher than this level of the ego higher than it then that person indeed has started the process of spirituality and spiritualization so in my view as we speak about yoga which destroys the ego and destroy your selfishness and go into some greater spirit in my vision this step is fundamental reaching to Manipura which is difficult because you build yourself until you didn't reach Manipura you didn't even exist you are a clown without a personality but then when you have worked so hard to build yourself then you move to Anahata and you give everything up like Tibetan monks that work a month to build a mandala and then in five minutes they just destroy it no, because it's all is ephemeral and everything is transient and the same with this the ego is not the final answer to the human evolution and selflessness the place where you put other people's needs at least on the same plane of yours Ramakrishna no he wanted to make a pilgrimage poor guy no he just gave it all on food for some people just no a few hours and he lost his pilgrimage because he felt compassion for people being hungry and it was again not a hunger like people were dying of starvation. There were a bunch of pilgrims who remained without food and they would have to fast a day and a half or something like this before they got back to their village. Even this Ramakrishna, you know, he was like, he, he, would, he would rather give up his own dream to do a pilgrimage rather than seeing the people hungry. So this is the measure of spirituality as Jesus said it. Enough for tonight. It has been a beautiful grace, a beautiful energy coming. Thank you all for joining and I will see you further. Remember the rules of the satsang says that satsang is one way always. I talk, you listen. If you want to listen, don't want to listen, you go. But you might have questions or commentaries. Or in Agama, those are coming always when we do Q&A. There is a day where we do Q&A and there we talk. We talk, you talk, you ask. I try to answer your questions. So... It's not one way. It's only one way today, tonight. With this, we have finished. Thank you all.